Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina. We're actually talking a lot about uh, the election process. Uh, the Common Cause North Carolina is dedicated to strengthening democracy. It is a nonpartisan group that uh, works in this regard to try to to uh, build up the confidence of the American public, especially in North Carolina in this particular case, with the election process and with politics in general. Bob, uh, you know, one of the things that we mentioned right before the break was the decline of the daily newspaper. We also have the decline of the viewership or the importance of the big three television networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, the evening news with Walter Cronkite or whoever the current anchors were at the time, seemed to have more of a balanced reporting of the news than we have now, because what we've turned out now on television is we have cable channels that are decisively one way or the other. We have Fox that is decisively right-wing. We have uh, CSNBC, which is probably representing more of the left views. Uh, there's CNN that sort of switches around, and we're not quite sure where they are, but they definitely take positions. Uh, what's your concern about this? Well, I think you're right. Objective journalism, to the extent that we once had it, is done and gone. And um, even, and Don, I know you and I talk about this, the journalism school, they're not cranking out the kind of students who want to be reporters like they once did because the jobs just aren't there. And what we do see kind of filling in the void as network news and newspapers and such are not what they once were. Um, media sites, if you will, with a point of view, um, whether it is MSNBC or Fox News, or even locally, you may have um, the John Locke Foundation, which puts out the Carolina Journal, and they if you read them, you know, you kind of see they have a point of view. I'm not saying that the folks there are um, bad writers or whatever, but there's definitely a point of view. And on the other side, uh, the North Carolina, I think they've changed their name. It used to be Policy Watch, NC Policy Watch, but I think it's NC uh, Newsroom. And um, it does, it's a filter of sorts. And I guess we, the citizen, tend to kind of drift into, uh, I guess, to use the words, echo chamber that we we want, and it validates, you know, the positions we have. Whereas in the old days, objective journalism was different uh, to the extent that you had it. But those trusted sources, you mentioned Walter Cronkite, and, you know, young people don't know even have any idea who that is, obviously, but um, you felt like you were getting, you know, an accurate uh, story from, from those folks who uh, once were dedicated to objective journalism. Uh, and I think it's harming our democracy, unfortunately, I guess, and it contributes to the uh, partisan, toxic partisan divide that we have. So um, I, I'm very sorry to see this decline of journalism or this shift that we are now seeing. Well, you know, the thing that sort of bothers me, uh, and I had one congressman tell me, by the way, uh, that uh, he made a point to watch the network, I, I won't mention which congressman it was, but he made a point to watch the the network that was opposed to his views because he said, I want to know what they're thinking. And uh, 
this is something I've suggested to friends of mine who have very strong feelings one way or the other. I said, well, why don't you watch the other side just for a while, just to get a feeling for what they're, they're thinking? Maybe you might learn something, maybe not. But when you're watching the, the viewpoint that you already uh, uh, believe in or espouse, you're not going to do anything but strengthen your own beliefs. And uh, they could be wrong. No, I think it's a very good point, and I actually try to do that myself. And I will say this, too. It appears that, you know, of course, I know that some would disagree, but um, whether it's the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or the Washington Post, some of those big traditional newspapers still seem to be able to do the job. They have online subscriptions that are available, but it doesn't, Don, as you know, give you the local news that uh, is so important as well. But I do think you make a good point. It is important for us to um, broaden uh, our uh, sources of news. But as you mentioned uh, in the earlier segment about young people, everything they get is on their phone. And, you know, whatever their, quote, favorite sites are, they have bookmarked, if you will. And uh, that's all they're reading. That's all they're consuming. Well, that's that's uh, that's dangerous. I mean, it's just plain dangerous uh, because you simply reinforce the position that you already are leaning toward to begin with, and and uh, so your mind is essentially not open, uh, and that's uh, that's not a good situation at all. Um, we talk a lot about ethics. Uh, is there such a thing as ethics in politics, Bob? Does that exist? Well, I know that's. Uh... <laughs> I think it actually does. I mean, there are things where people are crossing lines, um, but I do believe that most of what I see, and I'm covering only the North Carolina General Assembly, most folks, whether it's campaign finances in terms of properly recording the campaign contributions they get and not taking bags of money uh, in a bathroom as a former Speaker of the House once did and got caught and you know went to jail for it. I think that's more of the exception and not the rule. But I do think that there are positions that folks are having to take to toe the line that may not be so much theirs, but they're being told by their leadership, you must vote this way. Uh, and if you don't, we might gerrymander, i.e. change your district next time, or we might put a bunch of money and primary you, or we'll make you pay a price. And that's a bit of an ethical dilemma, if you will, where maybe, you know, you're a representative of a district and you do have convictions and beliefs about something, but you're not really able to hold on to that if the leadership is telling you something else or to do something else. And there are so many issues, even the things we were talking about earlier about elections and changing the election law. Where does it come from? You know, is it something that the leadership wakes up one day in North Carolina and decides, let's do some things that might make voting harder, even though we've got evidence that our voting laws are good, where we have more people voting than ever before in this in the history of the state. Let's do some things and we'll say that we're doing it under the name of security. Those ideas, Don, unfortunately, I think, come from the big think tanks or, you know, in Washington, D.C., you know, if it's the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee, a lot of these ideas are kind of pushed from at that level down to the states. And then we see, you know, again, I'm kind of going back to the lawmaker who has to make that ethical decision. 
do I vote my conscience? Do I vote what I think my people really want? Or do I take the vote that the leadership wants me to have? I see that a lot. That's the ethical dilemma I guess I see in Raleigh a lot. Well, you and I came up, and uh, a great deal of the population came up in that era where when something was written, when we saw something published, it met a standard and we could believe in it. Now with social media, almost anybody can say almost anything, uh, and uh, it's still written. And, And with that background of belief that anything that's written has to have some amount of truth to it. Uh, how do we handle that? How do we, how do we uh, police people being able to use their freedom to, of expression to, accept, to uh, really transmit lies? You know, I know exposing and transparency is uh, often thought of as the, the best counter to all that, but then I think we're almost in a time of, you know, what does it matter? Because we see politicians at the highest levels flat out speak untruths, if you will. And maybe even there's attempts to try to hold that person accountable, but it still doesn't seem to really matter. Uh, whereas a generation ago, you know, a president had to resign because of wrongdoings and an impeachment and basically public outcry. Uh, but it's just like that seems like um, like another world. Uh, so I don't know, Don. I mean, it's really part of what we are seeing today in this shift with technology and information and sort of how it's delivered and what people see and consume. And um, it's sort of how do you put the genie back in the bottle or whatever? I don't know. It's it's troubling and uh, because it's creating a lot of divisiveness in our in our country our culture our society and our politics well the judicial system at one point in time at least seemingly had more of a uh, uh an acceptance by the general public that they were probably beyond politics that's certainly not the case in this day and age because people run with the republican or democratic label uh attached to them on the ballot they are appointed by politicians who are either Republicans or Democrats. Uh, so is the judicial system really no longer is, I don't know, ex- their decisions accepted by the public as, as they were, once were? I'm afraid that's correct. And I can tell you in North Carolina, a good example would be litigation that we were involved in that was successful a year ago where maps that the lawmakers had drawn were found to be unconstitutional because of what was called partisan gerrymandering. That case forced new maps to be drawn, which we which were used in the 2022 election. Uh, the uh, North Carolina State Supreme Court running, as you say, the justices who run for that, they do run under par- partisan labels. And this year, that partisan gerrymandering case that we won was retried at the order of the new state Supreme Court. And they reversed the decision. They basically uh, overruled or threw out, you know, our win. And so now, yet again, new maps will be drawn this fall by the North Carolina General Assembly. The only difference, Don, no facts that were presented were any different. The evidence is the same. The only difference is the composition of the court changed. It went from a majority Democratic control to a majority Republican control. 
And everybody says, oh, well, you got the decision because the Democrats wanted, you know, wanted what you wanted. And, you know, we're saying that the Republican majority now just decided to toss it because they didn't like it. All that is a long story to say that that contributes to, I think, a lack of confidence that people have in the independence of our judiciary here in North Carolina. Well, that carries not only on state courts, but also the uh, Supreme Court. It does. You know, you've got a sitting justice who has some real ethical issues that came out that a millionaire was buying him, uh, well, lavishing him with (laughs) trips and gifts. And I don't know if there's anything accountable to that, but the court itself seems to be very divided. And just as you mentioned, who was appointed by whom versus, you know, you'd see sometimes a just an example, a Republican appointed chief, not a chief justice, but justice to the U.S. Supreme Court over time might drift completely different from, you know, what the the appointee, the appointer, rather, the Republican might have thought this justice would, you know, how they would vote. I think those days of it seemingly being an independent judiciary decision maker just doesn't seem to be like it once was. Well, we have to add that uh, during the uh, last presidential election, a number of court cases uh, were decided by Republican judges contrary to the views of uh, of the Republican Party. So there was at least uh, uh, that uh, to go back on and say, well, you know, there is there are judges that are going to take their job very seriously and try to render independent and uh, Uh, complete thoughts based on the law and the Constitution. Great point, and you're right. And we do have to hold hope that many of the people who are at that position are indeed looking at things in that independent manner. And I think that's important. We certainly don't want to have a judiciary that doesn't have the faith and trust of uh, of the American public. Our guest is Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Bob Phillips. 
We've said that Bob, of course, has been with us a number of times, former member of the WPTF news staff and later uh, press secretary for Lieutenant Governor Dennis Wicker before becoming executive director of Common Calls North Carolina, a bipartisan uh, group that lobbies on behalf of of uh, issues that involve voting and, and uh, the rights of the public. Bob, uh, we were talking about the North Carolina redistricting. We we seem like we are always redistricting, but we'll be doing it again. Uh, when will that be done, and and uh, how will that be done this time? Any different than it's been done in the past? I wish I could say it would be different. It's going to be done in uh, a special session, probably coming up in August or September. As we're speaking, the General Assembly is still working on trying to uh, come up with a budget. Uh, agreement, and that may stretch into uh, the rest of June and into July. But the North Carolina General Assembly has been tasked once again with drawing a new state house, a new Senate, and a new congressional map. The process, unfortunately, is still where the party in power really gets to draw the maps. And uh, we, as an organization, Common Cause, has always felt that that's wrong, whether it's Democrats are in charge or Republicans that the, um, I guess the cliche is, you know, lawmakers should not be drawing their own districts. They should not be choosing their voters. The voters should be choosing the lawmakers. We have ideas about how it could be done better. But Don, as you can imagine, those ideas, uh, whether Democrats are in control or Republicans are in control, uh, those proposals go nowhere. And uh, that's kind of where we are right now. Have other states found ways to uh, achieve independent redistricting? They have. That's a great question, Don, and it's one we are talking about all the time. Where it has worked is where you have a ballot initiative. You know, a citizen can get something on the ballot, and we've seen it in uh, Michigan um, and in California and in Illinois and a variety of states. And uh, the people put on the ballot that they think that uh, – map making should be done by an independent commission, independent citizens commission. And that's kind of how that has worked. And generally, I mean, this is not something that has been going on for a lot of years. California kind of first started doing this, kind of first started it, I guess, with this independent citizens commission, maybe about 20 years. But there have been certainly evidence already that it's taking some of that partisan politics out. But as you know, Don, we do not have that uh, avenue in North Carolina. Only the legislature uh, can actually put anything on the ballot. The citizens do not have that opportunity or right. There are some organizations that are trying to push for a citizen initiative. I think that's a double-edged sword. It can be good, but it can also be bad. California is a prime example of where it can go uh, in the wrong direction, perhaps. But um, that's where it has happened, though, Don, is where the citizens are able to get enough names on a petition, get something on the ballot, and then uh, a fair maps proposal gets enacted into law by a referendum. I want to switch uh, on you and go to a national issue because, as you said, Common Cause is a national organization. You happen to be the executive director of the North Carolina uh, branch. But uh, let's talk about the electoral college system. It has... What's your view and what is the view of your organization regarding that particular way of electing a president of the United States? 
I think it's archaic. We support the national popular vote. I mean, you think about governor, senator, all the elections that we have uh, down from the state's highest elected office of governor down to the city council. Uh, it's it's majority you know vote, popular vote. And so I guess it could be why is it that in you know this country we don't have that, but we have this assigned states with based on their um, congressional representation and it's kind of a winner take all with the exception of um, I think two states uh, so it's archaic and we're, we've seen what is it three or four of the last presidential elections where the winner is actually not the winner of the the popular vote but only the electoral college formula and it, you, you know you see North Carolina we're a battleground state so that means we get a lot of attention a lot of money and in a lot of ways, that's good. I guess it benefits us. But states that aren't battleground states, they don't get any attention. The candidates never go there. And um, the more activity you have, the more information is out there and the more voter enthusiasm there is. And uh, so states that aren't, quote, battleground states that are solid blue or solid red, uh, they don't get that attention uh, and that's a part of the problem, too. Whereas if it was a national popular vote, every vote matters. And candidates may go to obscure places because they think they can, you know, gain some ground uh, there. So, again, I know I'm prattling on and on about it, but Common Cause certainly does believe that the Electoral College should be scrapped. Well, North Carolina is, uh, has become a very important state. Not only are we growing and certainly now clearly a top 10 state, but we're also very purple. And uh, so uh, do you think we'll get to the point where we can truly say as North Carolina goes, so goes the nation? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, you know, I don't know if we're quote, quite yet a bellwether state, but um, you're right, though. We're very evenly divided politically. And it's a matter of really getting that participation out uh, from you know both parties to kind of maintain that. But uh, uh, as we are in that kind of purple zone and with all the growth, uh, I don't know that I see anything changing anytime soon. And so there could be a, a point to be made as, as our state goes, so goes the nation. Bob, uh, you have been following politics for a long time. If you were asked, and I'm going to ask this for two ways, if you were asked to give advice to the Democratic Party in North Carolina about what they need to do and advice to the Republican Party about what they need to do to become a, a, a source of better government. Well, I think it's maybe both parties need to look at where they're not connecting uh, to people across North Carolina. The Democratic Party, Don, uh, I would say needs to connect with the uh, communities that are just not the urban areas, places like where you grew up. And I grew up in the great state of Mecklenburg, but where my parents grew up in a, a Catawba County and my mom grew up in a Hereford County. But those counties that are not in the urban areas where Democrats aren't connecting and they need to figure out how to do a better job of that. I think the Republican Party, kind of the same notion, but figuring out how to broaden their base and make sure that, um, you know, voters of color, blacks, uh, the Latinx, uh, young voters, urban voters um, are, are connected to it 
where you know Republicans have a message that can be appealing because w- this division is largely and you know blue areas or cities, red areas or rural counties, and then that creates this what we call urban rural divide. That's also another thing that people say. But I think both parties need to look beyond their traditional base and try to branch out and broaden their appeal. And uh, I think that moderates, you know, the positions, too, because you have to kind of moderate your position to be able to appeal to a a broader base of voters. What is media's role in politics now? Uh, As we discussed earlier, the cable networks are decisively one way or the other. Is there a role somewhere where someone could come in and be that source of news that is basically as unbiased as is possible? You know, I'd like to think so, because I'll say this, when we are particularly on college campuses and we let them know we're nonpartisan, that's an appealing uh, aspect for us, because I think whether it's young people or anyone, they're um, leery of that extreme partisan view that comes from, even though that's where we go to get our news, I do think there is a lane and space for something that is objective and something that is nonpartisan, but it's just yet to be seen how to fill it. Technology is a big part of it. We've talked about it before, the whole the, the advertising dollars that newspapers relied on is just gone because of technology and the online is still difficult for them to kind of uh, you know make their money but i i do think and hope that sometime in our lifetime there will be something that replaces and rivals what we once had and that was a robust objective media uh in all forms radio newspaper online what have you, because we uh, we sorely need it. Well, it is uh, certainly something that has happened right before our eyes, the demise of the newspaper, the demise of the importance of the three basic networks, uh, ABC, NBC, and CBS, as far as their importance, and, of course, the rise of the independent cable channels. With all those hours to fill, they seemingly get on a, Binge and they have to fill a tremendous amount of hours, uh, and that causes, uh, I think, uh, them to overplay the importance of many issues. I think you're right. I know even at the local level, you know, the even that has expanded. Where once upon a time, six o'clock was that half hour for the local news, and it starts as early as four or four thirty. And when I talk to reporters. They're constantly having, and the words are, uh, feed the beast. They have to feed the beast. And um, when you're doing that, you don't have the time, perhaps, to make sure all your facts are right, or you're having to just rush to do a story, get something on the air. That's true at the national level as well. That's where mistakes are made. And sometimes seeking out what that sensational element is that's going to draw the viewer or reader in. Uh, prevails at the expense of accuracy and ob- and objectivity. Well, there's no doubt that uh, sensational news, murders, rapes, robberies, and, and crime uh, seemingly has a bigger draw than uh, news about what might be happening in uh, legislation of, uh, affecting agriculture, for example. Uh, that's just a, a fact that we have to live with. 
And uh, the more time the local stations spend on news, they basically are repeating the same news over and over and over. They are. Uh, and that's a shame, too, because, you know, you just kind of wonder, like, well, why am I subscribing to this whatever if I'm just seeing something that I've already read or consumed in some other manner? I do think technology does offer new, innovative, creative ways to offer information to all of us. That's the positive, but we've got to figure out how to harness it to something where there is more objectivity, there is more accuracy. Uh, I know you and I think wistfully of the old days, but there were a lot of good things about the old style journalism, and maybe somehow we can get it back sometime. Bob, thank you so much for being our guest and for your views and opinions. Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast or selected part. Jason Kong has produced our program, and he'll have another guest for us next week on this same group of stations. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.